You're about to listen to another episode of the Braun Body Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Braun. I founded Braun Body Training Holistics in 2019, and we started the Braun Body Podcast in March of 2020. Since then, we've released over 100 podcast episodes about various topics relating to training, nutrition, lifestyle, mental health, and so much more. We've been fortunate enough to have amazing guests on the show who range from doctors in physical therapy, chiropractics, nutrition experts, strength and conditioning specialists, and so much more. This podcast is your new one-stop shop for motivational content, health and fitness content, training advice, insight, and wisdom that you can get nowhere else. Welcome to the Brawn Body Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. In this episode of the Brawn Body Podcast, I'm joined again by Michelle Rogers. Today we're going to be discussing barefoot training, the foot and ankle, and how that plays into corrective exercise and movements up the kinetic chain. These are awesome concepts, and this is an awesome episode and discussion. Uh, for further reading and more information about this, check out the uh, show notes, the little description there. We actually worked together and put together a blog post about some of the stuff we talk about in this episode, such as the tibialis posterior muscle specifically. Uh, so there's links to all of that for further reading in the notes below. Highly recommend you check that out. Before we get to the episode, I'm going to turn it over to our sponsor for a quick word. Michelle, welcome back to the show. Excited to have you again. It's so good to be back, Dan. So we've kind of talked in the past, you have some very unique certifications and experiences and backgrounds. Uh, I know you're big in barefoot training. I know you're big in corrective exercise and you've taken a lot of additional courses and uh, consumed a lot of new content about those kind of trendy words, right? Barefoot yeah. training sounds cool. Corrective exercise sounds cool, but people don't actually know the ins and outs of them, I like to think, and people don't always understand the science behind them and why uh, they should consider uh, incorporating what we could consider barefoot training or what mm -hmm. we call corrective exercise into their routines. Uh, so when we think about, um, we'll, we'll take runners, we'll kind of break this out into different groups. So when we think barefoot training and we think people who run a lot, or engage in some type of cardiovascular activity, how does barefoot training kind of apply to them? Can they run barefoot? Are there benefits to training barefoot? Or is there reasons people shouldn't do barefoot things if they're runners? Yeah, I mean, um, it's a very good and complicated question. So with a, not a, an easy, simple answer because, um, yeah, the, the importance of using your feet. I mean, the, the number of nerve endings in your feet is really truly, you know, uh, unparalleled in the body, except for maybe one area, which, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we close them up in shoes and cut off their uh, sensory. And, and, and I think we've all seen, you know, the, the paraplegics who have learned to use their feet in place of their hands and how uh, absolutely astounding it can be when you are forced to use nothing but your feet, what, you know, what your feet can actually do. And, um, you know, really, truly 
how debilitated we have become by being shot our entire lives from when we're babies and um, never using to never learning to use our feet properly. Um, I think it, though that being said, it, it's been a pretty popular mistake that people just jump into barefoot training willy-nilly in the middle of adulthood after having these completely deconditioned feet <laughs> so mm -hmm. you can't just be like hey i want to try that and and i've been in a lot of um you know barefoot training uh, facebook groups and minimalist shoe groups and you know i'm in them and i and i see people get excited like we all did when we read born to run 15 years ago <laughs> um i mean truly it, it, that is what inspired me and um i did feel that way like hey I'm a sprinter I am in no way meant to be an endurance runner but I read that book and I'm like I can run a marathon <laughs> <laughs> um I cannot um I guess I never tried so I should I shouldn't say I cannot but it's not one of my goals I did run a 10 miler and um and that was that was it for me I did it I checked the box off and I said I'm gonna stick with sprinting um but I went and got at right after that time uh, certified through um, evidence-based fitness academy, and this this is started by uh, Dr. Emily Splickle, who is a podiatrist and a fitness professional and entrepreneur. She's one of the few mentors that I can say that I have. She's pretty incredible, and um, you know I went to her workshop up in New York back in 2012, and uh, just just you know whatever one day crash course on foot anatomy and the importance of barefoot training and how to assess for um, you know, imbalances and how that affects your entire body. Um, and so I have always incorporated that into any of my new clients' assessments along with other stuff like the overhead squat assessment. Um, but certainly looking at the feet, if there's anything going on anywhere up the kinetic chain, I assume the feet have something to do with it. Right. Um, and I've met very few people who are like, oh, they're good, <laughs> you know, um, and including myself. I mean, I'm still jacked up as, as hard as I work on trying to straighten out, uh, you know, whatever imbalances I have, it's hard. And, and I think, you know, you raised a point earlier, like why isn't it corrective exercise just isn't sexy. Like nobody really wants to take the time to work on mobility and fix things because, there's no instant gratification involved there. It right. takes some time, it's boring, it's uncomfortable, you know? And usually people don't get there unless they're forced to by their trainer who is knowledgeable in that, or they have an injury. And now you have to, mm -hmm. um, or it's both. And so I try to explain to my new clients how important it is that we start here. As frustrating as it may feel, we want to you know, build muscle or lose fat today. Um, if you want to get there and maintain it, then let's do this the right way. And if you trust me and you let me do it and you, you know, listen to your body and learn some things along the way, you won't need me in a year or two from now at all. Mm -hmm. And that really is my goal for people. You know, when you're a personal trainer a long time, you've got some lifers. They're never going to fire you. There, you are on the payroll. <laughs> they want their trainer. They don't want to think. They just want to be told. And you know what? I love those people too. I've, I've got, you know, a lot of my friends have been previous clients. So not knocking that. But for me, my, my professional desire is to teach people how to connect with their bodies, um, how to be their own coach and tune in to those cues, to focus, to be mindful 
because you can you can follow that Instagram workout or you know follow along on YouTube or do whatever video and you know hammer out reps but like if you aren't focused on feeling what your body's doing put effort into contraction take the time to say wait a minute maybe I'm not supposed to do this exercise but you might not know um, you won't get the long-term benefit Exactly. And so I think that it's our response, our responsibility as fitness professionals to really, yeah, teach a man to fish, right? That's really what I'm trying to do. So with barefoot training, um, I, I never, ever, you know, just tell people to go out there and start running because you will either get shin splints or top of foot pain or, you know, aggravate a plantar's fasciitis or fasciosis situation. Um, there's two different kinds of, of foot types that are problematic that most people always, they talk about overpronation, right? Which is really truly a movement pattern in running, right? Mm -hmm. So pronation is normal. Overpronating means your arch is totally collapsing when you're running. Now, if you're standing still and we're looking at your foot and your arch collapsing, you know, that's, that's a different category. It's your still diversion, whatever. So, um, you know, I, I start with people in a standing pose and then I start having them move. And then if they're runners, I have to watch them run. And um, I've had one very successful, you know, client story that, um, I mean, this is somebody I've been training for, oh God, 15 years plus. And, um, and from Philadelphia and he's followed me uh, via video. So I train him over video still to this day. And he wanted to be a runner when we met, but had he has psoriatic arthritis mm -hmm. and had knee pain. And uh, when he had started running on his own, his knees flared so much, he just was in too much pain to do anything at all. So he had to get that in check, but we started working together. And I, you know, kind of introduced him to the concept of barefoot running and barefoot training. And slowly over time, and, and really truly, we started that long ago. We, you know, he had a very serious overpronation problem. Um, which of course led to a lot of that knee pain, but he's got his um, arthritis a lot in check now. And that's also another uh, success story, but we've had to do a lot of, of mobilizations and releases and stretching and strengthening of the feet and the extrinsic muscles of the feet, which are in your lower leg. And truly it's hard, <laughs> it takes a lot of time. Um, but he, he straps on his Hirachis and he goes out there running 5Ks now and he's in his 60s. So to me, like when you have that person who is really truly motivated and open to the learning experience, it doesn't matter how old they are and how deconditioned their feet are, they will get there. But I think that people have to just be very, very careful about it because you know, you get overzealous, you go out, you buy a pair of Vibrams and, and put those on, which by the way, are not recommended in the barefoot training realm. Um, and you get hurt and then you say barefoot training sucks. And then like <laughs> walk away from it saying not everybody should be doing that. And of course, if you listen to doctors, podiatrists, they're always going to recommend that you don't do it. So it does take us to be very careful, responsible and attentive and make sure that we teach people the right way to go about it so that it doesn't disparage the entire endeavor by, you know, doing too much too soon. Right. Sorry. And all, all movement starts from the feet. And I think people forget that so yep, much. 
and I like how you brought up the um, sensory input through the feet yep. is kind of the key for your entire leg yes. to function because yes. it starts from the ground up. It's called a closed kinetic chain. Uh, so if you take away that sensory input through over cushioned shoes, through super thick foamy inserts and different things like that, your foot does not get a full appreciation of what's going on. So for example, with running, if you have a, you know, five centimeter thick piece of foam in your uh, shoes, then you're not going to get a full appreciation, your feet aren't, of the force that you're putting into the ground, because that foam is absorbing some of that force. So right, you will actually, <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you'll actually run with more force, yes. and you're uh, then wasting energy. So it's no longer energy efficient to be running, uh, because you're running with more force because your feet need some kind of cue, uh, as to how much force they're putting into the ground yeah. uh, and they're not getting that. So I think it's crucial, uh, like you said, for runners to start with the feet. And I like how you said, start with an assessment, right? Yes. Find someone who knows what they're doing and have yes. them look at your feet just standing still have them look at your feet as you start to move this isn't the guy at the um the sneaker store either no i, I no, hear a lot of people say that oh just go to the sneaker store and they'll assess you i'm like no 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 that's not the same thing <laughs> unless they are barefoot training certified in some fashion i was gonna say when i had brian Carden on a few months ago he had the stat at the ready um, but the statistic of people who actually know how to fit shoes properly that work at shoe stores is insanely low. Uh, and a lot of times they'll go and grab you, you know, a pair of shoes and say, you know, try them on. They might feel, make sure your toes like touching the front or something like that. And yeah. that'll be that. But what they don't realize is the difference in everyone's foot under load so when they're in the shoe they're not taking a look at your foot barefoot they're not taking a look at your foot barefoot as you move and they don't know what the shoe does they know what the uh company that produced the shoe told them that's right each shoe is different and if you don't believe me go to your nearest shoe store pick up two different uh pick the same shoe like the model but pick up two or three different boxes and try and compare them not a single pair will be identical because we all of our shoe manufacturing is done overseas where quality is not a focus. They care about profit margins and returns. So as such, not one pair of shoes will be identical to the next. So how are you going to properly fit someone in a pair of shoes when you can't assess them in the first place? Uh, so I think starting from the ground up, like you said, and working on what we call neuromotor re-education, getting the movement pattern correct in the first place. So when you do it, it's more efficient and energy effective. Uh, that actually leads to better performance and strength gains in the long term, uh, both in running and in strength. And your injury risk is now lower. Uh, the amount of people that I've seen from a physical therapy side of things with foot and ankle problems is astronomical. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And with that too, if you're a former athlete that's looking to get back into it, I think that increases your need to start considering some kind of barefoot approach and foot assessment because the role that different pathologies like ankle sprains 
play into uh, your overall foot mechanics, even years down the line, is incredible. And we forget about that, right? We get told, well, you know, it was an ankle sprain. Give it a few weeks, maybe a month, and then life will be good, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny that you say that because like when I assess somebody that's, and I can tell maybe they have a rigid foot type. I'm like, have you ever sprained this ankle? Like, yeah, like five times. And then like, what, what's, what's, isn't there a statistic on like you sprain it once, you're probably going to sprain that same ankle again, like another two, two or three times. Yep. Like never just one. Yep. The more you sprain it, the more likely you are to sprain it again. Yeah. And the problem with that is you sprain your ankle and that impacts the lateral ligaments of your ankle. There's three of them, your ATFL, PTFL, and CFL. And those ligaments become lengthened because of that quick, sudden stress. So what happens is- They were already lengthened, which is probably why you sprained it, right? right. Generally that kind of sprain is is because those, the fibularis muscles already stretched. So now we further lengthen them and yeah. now the medial arch stabilizers, such as the tib anterior and tib posterior, and I know we've done blogs about that in the yeah. past, yeah. Um, have to pick up the slack for yes. those ligaments. And now instead of ligaments getting chronically lengthened, you're talking about contractile muscles getting chronically lengthened. And the, as you know, from length tension relations, the longer the muscle is, the weaker it is. So now it can't do its job of supporting your arch. And now you get flat, flat feet. I can't talk all of a sudden uh, (laughs) amongst other things. And if you can't move properly at the foot, you get compensations up your entire leg. So a lot of times I'll see people with knee pain who actually have foot problems, or maybe their squat looks bad, but it's not anything at their hips or knees. It's just what's going on at their foot. Yeah causing a hip shift or hip dip at the bottom of the squat. Yeah, I mean, um, I think we talked a little bit too about the um, uh, Brookbush Institute and the human mm-hmm. movement specialist. That's, what, that's one of the things I've been trying to finish for two and a half years now, Dan. Um, I'm gonna get there. I keep enrolling so I don't let it go. But um, yeah, I, I, I find it interesting because um, you know he's a DBT and he talks about when you assess somebody and, and you're employing a corrective exercise techniques, what do you do first? Somebody's got a whole host of problems. <laughs> what do you start with? You know, because you really can't always do all those things at once. And I mean, generally the rule is, okay, the most pressing pain issue, maybe you work on that first, but then if there isn't pain, start with the feet. Because yep. if you don't get that right, nothing you do up there is going to matter because it's just going to keep, you know, re- recreating the same issue and over and over again, starting at the foot. And with that too, just a side note of something I've learned from Dr. Kyle Bowling, who we had on months ago, if the feet are okay, go to the thoracic spine, just start uh-huh. right in the middle of the body. If the feet are not the problem and then work out. So yep. start from the bottom and work up or start from the middle and work up or down as you need. Yeah. Um, but with that too, Um, We kind of got ahead of ourselves a little bit and started talking. No, don't be sorry. It's good. Um, I love when we do that. Um, We started talking about how this relates to exercise and fitness and lifters. And I think that's something that we're starting to see change, right? You go to the gym and you'll actually see people squat or deadlift barefoot, which is something that used to be kind of taboo. So I think it's interesting how 
there's some awareness starting to be made about the importance of training barefoot. However, I also think there's a way to do it properly. And I think just going to the gym and loading up three plates on a bar and squatting or deadlifting it while barefoot is not the best way to start. Agree. So how would you recommend people get started uh, kind of with their barefoot training? I mean, I'm not going to delude myself into believing everybody's going to hire a trainer. It's not going to happen. So, and, and, and as somebody who I take most of my health matters into my own hands, I uh, relate to that. So um, yeah, first, first suggestion would be find somebody who is barefoot certified if you really are serious about it. Um, if, that's, if that's something you're just not going to do, then you need to at least be able to look at yourself and say, what, what's, my, what's my pressing issue? You record yourself doing an overhead squat um, and see what, what, is your, what is your foot doing? Is, are, are, do your toes turn out? Does your arch collapse? Do you have the knee valgus? Are you bowing in? Are the knees pushing out? And, and then you've got to kind of, you know, tr- try to figure out what needs addressing from the, and, and this can be basic, you know, um, what needs to be addressed. So you can't go wrong with simply, you know, myofascial release, the um, extrinsic muscles, the posterior tip, like you mentioned, um, and uh, any of those, you know, the, the extensors, the, the digital flexors, are, are your toes, are they, are they um, hammer toeing? Are you, do you have a bunion? Is your, are, how, how much can your toes spread? I mean, there's a lot of things to look at, but, you know, I've had some, some ladies, you know, when you wear heels your whole life, your feet are going to probably be pretty jacked up. And so, you know, a lot of people like that have pain when they're barefoot. Um, not as many dudes have that issue, but I've, I've seen it. And even my barefoot runner client, his, he's got hammer toes still, but he's been able to still successfully employ barefoot training. So you might not ever get perfect feet, but you have to at least try to work towards the ideal. Right. And, you know, with that, too, uh, I think there's this big misconception that the uh, appearance of something or the form of it dictates the function. Right. And I tell people to look up uh, LeBron James feet, Uh, not in a creepy way, but this guy has the worst bunions I have ever seen. Um, so unusual for a guy. It is terrible. He's got terrible bunions and you just look at his feet and it's just like, what is going on? And yet he is, you know, I'm not going to say the greatest because I don't want to start that debate, but he is one of the greatest basketball players uh, to ever play the game. Uh, And yet you look at his feet Uh, and it's just like, dude, what is going on? So just because you have kind of what we consider a structural abnormality or some kind of form thing does not mean that, you know, all is lost because I have seen some crazy things from a form and appearance perspective that don't seem to hinder function. And that's just one example. What if though we straightened out his feet and he somehow became even better, faster? Like we don't even know. But right. 
certainly it hasn't seemed to affect him that greatly to diminish his career. <laughs> right. So that's just one example that the form yeah. doesn't always yeah. dictate the function. However, exactly. I know that he takes his training and recovery very seriously. So yeah. he could be someone who does things like intrinsic foot muscle strengthening and activation. Maybe he does barefoot walking. I'm a huge fan of barefoot walking myself. Um, I think a lot of times that people jump right into barefoot running and I think yeah. you need to walk before you can oh, run. Gosh. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I thought I, maybe I should have said that more clearly, but yeah, I mean, when we're talking about running to me, like if you're good, if you want to be a barefoot runner, it's, it's not happening this week. Like you've got, you've got to work up to that. And uh, what you just mentioned too, just like the intrinsic muscles of the feet, like the short foot exercise is the one thing, like if I can, if I can leave anybody with anything, it's, it's, it's doing that, which is simply engaging the muscles of the arch and strengthening the, the, the bottom of the foot and, and, mm -hmm. and lifting the arch up, which, wow, that's a hard one to teach. Have you, have you tried to teach somebody how to do that? Kind of like a towel curl kind of thing. No, because that just focuses on the, um, digital flexors, but, um, Short foot is when you literally like try to shorten the distance between the um, callus, the, um, the ball of the foot and the heel mm -hmm. and just squeeze and lift. And um, it's, we are so disconnected from that motion that it takes, it takes a good moment. Like I have to repeatedly show somebody what it looks like, hold their toes down because the toes always want to get involved. And then, you know, eventually it starts to, it starts to be something that connects, um, but it has to be, yeah, so, sort of something always done. So for instance, it's, I, I cue myself to employ that when I'm doing a squat or a deadlift. And, and to your point earlier of how, you know, the proprioception or the, the you know, perception of the, the foot and its, um, its surroundings and how that affects the rest of the kinetic chain, there's some good research indicating about how much more your core fires when your feet are engaged, when your feet have tactile um, input. Right. You actually have a stronger core firing with that. So yeah, if you can get your, I always make my clients take their shoes off even if they're not ready for it, their shoes are off because they got to start somewhere and they've got to feel the floor. And, you know, most people I'm starting from ground level anyway. So yeah, we start with that. And then if I see things are going south, we, we have to take a step back. But I, I think if we're talking about like heavy lifters or seasoned, you know, uh, bodybuilders or uh, athletes who have been wearing shoes and, and used to it and just want to start tearing the shoes off and going for it. Um, I would say you, you should start with when you are either in deloading or uh, a different phase of training where you are, you know, maybe doing balance training or um, more endurance level resistance training. I would work. never be like, take off your shoes and load it up at 350 pounds and see how it goes because right. probably something's going to go wrong. Or incorporate it into your mobility flow or yoga flow. Absolutely. Yes. 100% every time. That's what I mean. Like, yeah, you can definitely be doing normal things like walking around your house. But I mean, I will be honest, I've had plenty of people just, you know, have some more negative feedback with simply taking off their shoes. Like it hurts my feet. And, you know, I feel better with the shoes on. Well, yeah, because that's what you got used to. And it's going to be a little bit of a reprogramming. Process. Right. And you saying short foot exercise from before, 
Um, I had to look up a picture, but I call it what um, I call it is like tripod position of your uh, foot. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's kind of another term for it. So I look at it as basically just equal weight distribution between your big toe, your little toe, and your heel. So being able to distribute well, weight evenly. Except that's just the start position. The short foot exercise is, is literally the contraction of the tripod. Oh, interesting. It's, it's, I will send you a link. And this is the, um, this is what I learned from Dr. Splickle. So like definitely, you know, one of the, the, the basic tenets of barefoot training is learning to do that. But she also starts with a foot release. And of course she's got, she's got products and stuff that she, <laughs> she promotes in order to do that. I just use a golf ball or a little bouncy ball or even a cross ball if that's all I have. But yeah, certainly rele releasing the, the arch first and then employing short foot, um, the most basic thing you can do. For sure. And kind of with that too, uh, we've talked about release to the foot and we've talked about activation to the intrinsic feet. Don't neglect what I call the subtalar joint. So this is the joint that allows inversion yeah. and eversion at the yeah. ankle. Um, so you have the talocrural joint, which is kind of like a brick and mortise uh, and it allows dorsiflexion, plantar flexion. Below that, between your calcaneus and your talus is the subtalar joint. And yeah. that joint gives you that inversion, eversion moment. And a lot of people have too much inversion and not enough eversion. And a lot of people say, okay, that shouldn't be a problem, right? But when you think about what inversion does up the chain, like we talked about before, this is the exact mechanism for valgus collapse at the knee. What uh, can occur when you have valgus collapse at the knee? ACL tear, MCL tear, meniscal pathology, all these different things. Uh, now that's not a guarantee, right? Just because you have valgus collapse does not mean you're going to tear your ACL, but that is the position that we commonly see it in. Yeah. So obviously if you want to reduce injury risk, then addressing all the factors at the foot and ankle that can contribute to injuries up the chain has to be a priority for you. Right. With that too, one of my one of my go-to like subtalar kind of interventions, I'll say, is to take one of those little balance discs. It's kind of like a wooden disc with like a little thing in the middle. You've yes. probably seen them before. Uh, either one of those or a towel on a wooden floor, and work back and forth side to side with it. So we're working through that inversion eversion as wait, kind wait, of like wait, you're, a, you're standing on the balance board. Uh, I usually sit on it. Oh, you're okay. sitting on it. Got it. Okay. Yep. And I'll do the same thing with a towel, right? Sit down and then put one foot on it and work it back and forth side to side. It's kind of like a windshield wiper. So yep. that's starting to get your subtalar joint to move through inversion, eversion. And what I really like about this one is it doubles as a mobilization at your knee for your fibular head. So your fibular head is now gliding anteriorly and posteriorly. Uh, which you might not think that's a big uh, deal, big player, but when you're told by someone who's got three manual therapy fellowships that the reason your squat sucks is your fibular head mobility, you start to listen and yeah. take it a little more seriously. So um, that, 
I guess that's my little soapbox. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and that's just it. We, we definitely all speak from our own experiences. Um, and, and you just also made me think of what another pretty glaring issue that uh, most people have is loss of dorsiflexion. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, optimally, I think it's like 10 degrees of dorsiflexion is what you need at minimum to like, you know, windless mechanism to just like be able to, to walk properly and, and, you know, forget walking, running. Um, and most people have less than that. Um, and optimally is even, you know, it's more like 20 degrees. So that is, yeah, generally, I mean, there's a lot of muscles going on down there, but just short gastroc and soleus will always lead to loss of dorsiflexion, um, um, you know, putting aside any issues with um, posterior and anterior tib and, you know, all the other surrounding muscles. So that's another reason why when I get somebody, I, I test that. Um, so if you don't have that, if you don't have that degree of dorsiflexion, the second you descend into a squat, what's happening? Yep. Feet are going to turn out to try to make space. And this is why people put blocks under their heels and think that's an answer. <laughs> and that's only making it worse because now you're increasing your tension on the Achilles. Yes. Yeah. That doesn't help. No, it's a bandaid. And, For sure. You know, I would rather get my body right, but you know, that's, it's hard. It is, it takes time and attention to that, you know, area for a, a longer than most people want to spend on it. For sure. And um, that's actually something that I'm wrapping up my senior capstone project on. We're publishing the research in the near future. I won't spill the results just yet, but we actually compared uh, mobilization to the talocrural joint a glide technique with uh, soft tissue mobilization to the Achilles, uh, basically gastroc soleus complex. Uh, so so is the glide mobilization, like using a band over the yep. ankle? Mobilization with movement. Um, ours was more manual administered, but you can administer it with a band. Anyone yep. can do that themselves. Yep. So yep. try that 20 times uh, one day, see how it works give it about three or four days, don't do any mobility in between. And instead of going with that uh, mobilization the next time, try some soft tissue release and soft tissue work uh, to your calves and see what works better for you. Uh, I'm not going to give you the results of the study just yet. Um, I'm going to wait until it's published. Um, Not one to get ahead of myself here, but Um, I highly recommend trying that and feel free to kind of share your results with me because I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I think a lot of people are going to be surprised about which is more effective in the long term. Well, I will, I will give it a try. I have pretty, I I mean, what's interesting, I've showed you some of my issues, but um, I have a pretty good um, ankle mobility in both feet comparatively to the average person, but my right is limited compared to my left. Right. So in that sense, I might be able to um, see a difference if I can compare the two. And the other common thing I've noticed is that a lot of people, especially in the squat, will show limited dorsiflexion. But if you do a heel wall test or a knee wall test uh, and assess their closed chain dorsiflexion, they actually have enough. So there's kind of a disconnect between what they can do unloaded and what they do in that squat position. Uh, so it's kind of a tough area to tackle. Well, uh, is that, did you compare, wait, this I forget is, how that started. 
did you just read a study or is that something you watched? Oh, this is something I've seen all the time. It I'm is, just curious. Yeah. Like, does it matter how big the load is, how heavy the load is? It doesn't seem to. It's so if you look at someone one leg, right. And do a closed chain dorsiflexion yep. test. So see if their knee can touch the wall, they'll be fine. They'll have yep. 40 degrees of dorsiflexion on both uh, feet. Well, then you put them in a squat and they don't dorsiflex near as much as they should during a squat. And they always ask, you know, what contributes to that? And this has been clients, this has been uh, physical therapy, this has been a lot of different kind of things. And I don't have one big answer to that other than neuromotor planning. So yeah. the body's just used to shifting yeah. more with the hips. Yeah, I was just going to say that because if you ever just like have somebody who's never squat before, like show me what you think a squat is. I don't even demonstrate it because I want to know what they think it looks like or feels like. Right. And then, you know, cue them like, okay, just pretend you're going to sit on a toilet you don't want to sit on, <laughs> you know, and how quickly that changes, you know, yep. just thought of what that really means for them. For sure. And last thing before we wrap this up here, I'm going to share the Brian Carden theory uh, and see your thoughts on that. So when we had okay. Brian on a few months ago, he discussed his belief that the primary mover from a deep squat is not the quads, but is actually the soleus because you're in a deep position of dorsiflexion. Your knee is bent, so your quads are extremely lengthened and you need to return to a plantar flexed state from that dorsiflexed position. So his argument is the soleus is the primary mover in a deep squat. Um, so I always like to ask people in the barefoot kind of specialty or foot ankle kind of specialty uh, what their thoughts are on that, because I think it's an interesting theory. You'll never read about it in the research or anything, no. but it makes a lot of sense once you stop and think about it. Well, I guess it's hard. That's, it is interesting. And I love thinking that way. Um, it's hard to even say what there can be one prime mover in a compound movement. Right. Right. I mean, how, I mean, I would, I, my, my first thought is, you know, do, do we do like the, you know, uh, what's the EEG testing? Oh, uh, like, EMG. Muscular EMG. EMG. Yep. Yeah. So like, what would be, what would be the contribution of the soleus in such a movement versus, you know, another similar, you know, knee moment that doesn't have the same, uh, I guess, trajectory. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as good as explaining these things as you probably are. <laughs> that, 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 that's the way my mind is thinking is, well, they're, they, you know, along with the glutes, like all three of those are working in conjunction. So what's prime really even mean? What do right. we mean by prime mover? Right. Like it, that specific point in the movement what muscle is contributing the most to the movement okay so from the bottom of the squat yeah i mean <clears throat> contributing the most geez and so now i'm gonna think about it next time and and does it matter um uh the squat depth so if we're talking ass to grass which few people are even doing that um versus knee parallel or uh, quad parallel <clears throat> right and this was something he uh, specifically went after the deep squat with okay. so uh, the reason for that is you get a deeper knee flexion angle yeah and so, like you said the quad is totally 
lengthened. Yeah, so the quad is lengthened and the cat, like the gastroc component of the calves is kind of taken out, so to speak, because it does knee flexion. Yeah, yeah, in oh, addition yeah, to plantar gastroc, flexion. Yeah. So gastroc. it's shortened at one end. It's not going to be able to shorten much at the other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a good thought. It's a good thing I don't post the videos, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a, here I am, yeah, yeah, testing it out. <laughs> yeah, um, I will. I will. I'm gonna give that some thought, but um, yeah, I d I don't know. I because then I am also thinking without taking this too far, three of the quads are lengthened, but rectus femoris is not because you're in deep hip flexion as well. So that's actually not completely lengthened. It's only lengthened if you were in like a, you know, hip thrust position. Yeah. So it's, it, it's an interesting theory, like I said, and I think it needs a lot more attention and thought to kind yeah. of. But I mean, it, it, what it does, even if you don't have an answer is make you think about how important the soleus is in that movement regardless. And I have never personally minimized that. Right. Because right. truly it is, you know, um, you know, I don't think anybody needs to be doing like seated calf raises for any, you know, uh, functional movement reasons, unless you've got like really, you know, <laughs> weak soleus. But I do think that uh, making sure that your feet are right and that your, your posture is optimal in a squat or any kind of functional movement, you know, that that is an important muscle, 100%. For sure. So with that, Michelle, do you have any other kind of closing thoughts and closing remarks on barefoot training and the importance of the foot and ankle? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I just think that people like anything else need to do their homework and not jump on any bandwagon or train that isn't necessarily appropriate for them or footwear. I mean, I, I will, I wear Horachis when I go out for a walk, but I mean, really, truly barefoot is best. Like that is what it's meant to be. And even minimalist footwear is still inhibiting, like, as we talked about at length, the, uh, the, the ability of the, of the uh, feet to perceive their surroundings. So even if, you know, you do have a very thin sole you can, you, can you can feel the ground beneath the sole, but you're not feeling the ground. Um, and that's part of what um, Dr. Splickle, one of her, her big you know, products now is, is getting pretty popular, I guess, is Naboso technology, where there is now an insole, a textured insole that goes into shoes that's really helpful for people with like neuropathy, for instance. And um, you know, whatever, they have varying degrees of, of texture that, can um, activate some of that, that um, sensory input that is helpful for overall body strength and, and improvement in outcomes. So I, I won't lie and say I know a lot about it because um, I haven't focused that much on it, but I think that's a really interesting direction. And um, I think that really truly, we just need to remind people of how important the feet are, period. For sure. you, start, you start thinking that way, you know, you start making different decisions. For sure. Start from the ground and work your way up. That's right. Uh, with that, Michelle, thank you so much for offering your knowledge and insight and training experiences when it comes to barefoot training. Uh, like we said, that's an area that's often kind of either overlooked or not fully understood. Not fully and understood. I, yeah. 
I hope that this kind of sheds some light on it and helps other people to kind of realize the importance of it and encourages people to go out and find someone such as yourself to uh, kind of assess their feet and figure out what they can do to make a difference in their overall movement from the ground up. Yeah. Um, and uh, which, by the way, I guess it's worth mentioning that if you do want to find somebody in your area that's barefoot certified, you can go to ebfaglobal.com and find a workshop or I'm sorry, professional that is in your area. That's For a barefoot sure. training uh, certified instructor. Awesome. Michelle, thanks again. Thank you, Dan. This was fun.